Welcome to Finance with Factor, a place you can come to laugh and learn from local experts about everything related to the world of real estate. Each week we cover a unique topic to help you understand the mortgage industry, navigate the home buying process, and grow your business while maintaining a slice of sanity. Now that he has climbed safely atop his soapbox, here is your host, a senior loan officer with Mortgage Network, Jason Factor. Hello and welcome to another episode of Finance with Factor. Thank you very much for joining me again this week. Today, I want to have some tough conversations and today's guest is someone that will help coach me through it. Anyone in real estate these days is having these conversations. I cannot tell you how many times I work with realtor partners that are putting in offers every week with the same set of clients only to call them and say, sorry, we didn't get the house. Obviously not a conversation we want to have. Likewise, if you're a loan officer out there, it can be really hard these days. I mean, the volatility on the rate market, the volatility from the customer's perspective, which may or may not be that easy to understand, to be able to call them and say, hey, I know I quoted you at X and maybe we can still get it, but here's where rates are right now. Here's the strategy. They can be really hard conversations. And, you know, speaking with someone in a way that is both empathetic and understanding, but conveys knowledge and conveys the conviction that you need to have as the quote unquote expert when speaking to a certain subject matter can be a really challenging thing, whether it's negotiating with your kids on something as simple as go put on your pajamas or you don't get dessert tonight to something as complicated as hey, you didn't get the house, or you're not going to work here anymore. So today's guest, Allison Burgett, is the head of talent management at Cambridge Savings Bank. Allison and I go way back um, to prior lifetimes (laughs) at other places of employment. Um, And she's become a friend. She's someone who has been a client and someone that I'm very proud to welcome to Finance with Factor. Allison. Welcome to the podcast. Great. Uh, thank you, Jason. Uh, thanks for a lot of things. Uh, my new office that I'm currently sitting in is thanks to a partnership with Jason. Um, we actually met many, many moons ago while working at Boston University in um, the development office. And since we're both in very different fields right now, it's evident that maybe we didn't find the right home um, while working in development. And HR has certainly been where I've found a niche um, and really have enjoyed that. But uh, Jason and I were talking today a bit about how we got here and you know when we met. And it was uh, one of the, my, my thoughts was, I would rather have a conversation in my career as an HR professional with someone having a really challenging work in, um, environment or in the wrong position and maybe it's not the right fit um, and telling them that rather than asking someone for $25 during their dinner um, dinner call, uh, dinner time. So obviously HR is full of difficult conversations and so is life. Um, and I would prefer those ones over my ones that I had in development with, uh, Jason many, many moons ago. So thank you for the opportunity. I take take personal offense. You'd rather (laughs) fire someone than talk to me. Um, no, uh, I, I, I mean, I, God forbid, I would never want to fire someone. So I give you, uh, I don't know if that's credit, but we do have tough conversations when it comes to real estate all the time, right? So um, 
whether it's telling someone they didn't get the house, whether it's telling someone they're not approved, um, these are, you know, telling an agent that you have better off or whatever it is, like these conversations come up. So when Allison mentioned that when she and I first started, we were in fundraising together, um, Allison was actually the head of our telefund office. So uh, calling people during dinner and making those annoying solicitation calls. Um, and I'd be curious how you kind of transfer that experience into what you do now, because I know I use it every yeah. day. Well, I think one of the most notable things was, so part of my job in Telefund was I hired and trained a whole bunch of student callers. And I realized I was really good at having those conversations, getting them excited about what they were doing, putting mission behind what they were doing, um, but less so the technical fundraising piece. And what was exciting is to realize that the ability to engage people, get them motivated and impassioned about something is a whole realm of a career, which is, you know, a lot of big part of human resources. And that was kind of my pathway into that. But it was a matter of, I even remember back when I did work um, in tel uh, at the Telefund, one of the biggest things I thought about was how do I make myself more comfortable with what I was asking for and doing and having that tough conversation. And that was when I came up with this idea of doing like a graduation year ask. And that's nothing magical. There's plenty of people that do that. But I think one of the things that helped me have that difficult conversation, which in this example is fundraising, was putting purpose behind it and having some belief in what I was asking for. Because I understood, okay, I can ask someone for 1983. There's a reason, there's an emotion behind that. And I think that ability to take that ability to tie in and create a connection between what you're asking for and what you need from someone to having a greater purpose is ties into no matter if you're doing loans or human resources, a lot of other different things. Yeah, it's, it's about, I mean, it, what you're saying is basically, uh, unless I'm putting words in your mouth and then you can stop me, but basically being able to put yourself in that other person's shoes and make even just the most minute connection to, to try to see what they're going to feel as you make that ask, right? Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. And one of the big, I remember when I interviewed for my first HR job, one of the best pieces of, I, of advice I ever received was, you know, you're going to have a lot of hard conversations. You're going to be in a lot of really tough situations but always think about how you would want to be treated if you were on the other side of that conversation. And I take that in, you know, over the decade of, that of, of HR that I've done, I always think about no matter if I'm giving someone great news, like you just got a job and life is awesome, or something's not working out, how would I want to hear that news? And how would I want to feel after that conversation? And I think that that can apply in so many different situations. And if you take the time to do that and actually put the intent behind it, I think you can get through a challenging conversation and with a, a little less stomach acid. Um, at, as <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all punt stuff down the road, right? Like it's when you say like the stomach acid, how many times do you have, I mean, even if it's just a to-do list, right? And here are the people that I need to call and it's like, oof, that one's going to be tough. I'll do this one first. Um, and so confronting those fears, I guess, is the best way to put it. And, and I'd be curious from your, you know, in your training at Bloodsucking HR School, um, you know, what, like, what are some of the things, I guess, when you first kind of have to get into that mindset to have that conversation that you are either dreading because it's bad news or that you're really looking forward to because it's good news, 
what are some of the things that you do to make sure that you're putting yourself in the right frame of mind to both be reflective on how they're going to um, receive this news and in the right tone to make sure that you're conveying it clearly? Great questions. I think a big part is preparation. No matter how good or how challenging a conversation is, I always jot down notes because in that moment, it's so easy for adrenaline, um, whether positively or negatively impacting it to affect what that messaging looks like. Um, and I, I also believe that I shouldn't be in HR if I didn't have that sense of anxiety associated with challenging conversations because that means I'm not empathetic. And if you're not empathetic, I don't think you can be a good HR person or frankly, a salesperson or a loan officer or anything else because you're relating with humans. And it just doesn't seem actually respectful to not include that piece. I question, so. I question how many attorneys and realtors are full humans, but um, <laughs> most of them are. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, that's a really good point in terms of like, even if you've had the conversation a million times, take the moment to pause and think, how is it going to be received? And then I guess the next part would be, how do you make sure that you're setting the right tone? Yeah. Right. Um, so when you actually have the conversation, are there certain things that you try to keep in mind as you're going through? I mean, I think you sort of touched on one, right? Like the adrenaline gets going, it's easy to maybe speed up or to maybe get too aggressive. Are, are there things that you do when you're having a conversation that starts to get either into a negotiation or contentious or just starts to hit the wrong note that you do to sort of keep yourself in the right frame of mind? Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing back to the preparation, I, I generally um, have practice conversations like, you know, I'll do it in my office before I have a conversation <laughs> with someone. So. I'm going to pause you. She talks to herself all the time. And that's like why that's, I have the it's, She calls it a practice conversation, but it's just crazy people talk. Yeah, it just helps. <laughs> way, if I put a name to it, it makes it sound a lot more professional. Um, so there's definitely the, the preparation piece to it. But I have definitely been in conversations where someone is not real thrilled with the message I'm de delivering. And a lot of times I, I'll actually acknowledge it. I say, I'll actually say, this is gonna be a tough conversation or I can tell that this is not news that you wanna hear. And I put a name to it. Um, and I've also said in some situations, you might not like me very much at the end of this conversation, but we're gonna have a conversation that's based on respect. And I do set those ground rules for, for how we're gonna go about this. And I've gotten, people have yelled at me, people have been, you know, again, less than thrilled. And I always take a deep breath and I think about, okay, at the end of this conversation, how do I want to walk away from it with how I felt and how I held myself accountable for being a, a, a good conversationalist or a deliverer of challenging news? I think that's a great point. So I joked in the post that it's, you know, just negotiating with your kids that their dessert isn't happening tonight or it's actually something as important as you got a job or you no longer have a job. Um, what are some of the things that, so you mentioned the ground rules to set up the conversation, preparation, putting yourselves in the other person's shoes and being reflective about the way that they're receiving it, both how you anticipate they're receiving it, but also during the conversation, I guess, pausing and listening enough to, to think about how they are currently receiving the news. Um, now the conversation is over. When is it appropriate? How is it appropriate to follow up? And obviously that needs context, but 
like what are some of the, the general steps of follow-up after what you know was a difficult conversation? So often when I, uh, let's say we're having a really challenging conversation, I usually end it with thanking that person for um, engaging with me in that way and, and understanding and acknowledging that it probably was pretty challenging. Um, I think another piece that's a real important part of challenging conversations and I think can help differentiate people is now how, how do you help them into a next phase, right? So if you're, actually I'll give an example of, I've had plenty of conversations with employees who are in a, a position that's not the right one for them. And I actually go back to my experience at, in development and it, acknowledge that, yeah, that was not a great place for me to be. And if I hadn't made the decision to, to find a different career path, eventually someone might've had that, um, made that decision for me. So I think that it humanizes that interaction because there's this element of, you don't want this power imbalance. Not, no one is better or worse than someone during a conversation. You as the person providing information are in a unique opportunity because you're helping bring them through a, um, a decision point, you're giving them information and you might be almost the, um, you're cultivating that relationship and, and owning that process. But I think that I never think in any way, shape or form, I'm better or worse than someone because I have the information and they don't. And so when I'm finishing something, it's like, well, how can I help that person to another um, opportunity? If it's, a, it's not the right position or if it is, it's talking about, well, what are the next steps? How can I help you? But there's an element of you're not doing it for that person, right? I, I put the onus on the individual of, you know, I'd love to help you. Let me know how I can do that. Some ways could look like this. So it's a kind of a general one, but I think there's an element of it's easy to give someone bad news to just leave it at that. It's a period at the end of the sentence and you walk away. It's different, and I think it's um, it's a skill set to say, all right, I've given you bad news, I've had a challenging conversation, but I don't want our story to end here, and I think I can be useful for you or to you in some other way that might help you along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. I've, I mean, I've I've taken a few notes here, um, so thank you. I'm learning a little bit too, but um, you know, talking about thinking through the purpose up front setting the ground rules, uh, for lack of a better term, once you're in it or before you start it. And then while you're in it, taking the moment to continue to pause and listen. And then I love what you just said about being aware of a power imbalance in terms of it's not a negotiation, right? So like, I'm, I'm not negotiating with you as to why you didn't get this house. Yeah. I'm informing you that you didn't. And then we're trying to figure out what those next steps are. Um, so I, I love that. Um, I'd be curious from your perspective, if there, oh, all right, so Allison is my favorite storyteller. Um, <laughs> so you're really a big lead up on that one, Jason. That's a, a one. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> I mean, you are, you're a great storyteller. So, um, I would love to hear an example of a time that you can think of where you kind of implemented some of those steps and, and maybe there's a takeaway or a lesson there for people that are, that are tuning in today. Yeah, and actually, I'm going to kind of take a unique um, twist on that because I think it's so easy and as an HR professional say, here's an example of a time that I had a challenging conversation um, with an employer or whatever. But I, I had a situation that I, I had a, a dear, dear friend of mine one time called me out on some um, that I hadn't been prioritizing our uh, friendship, really. I would 
show up late to dinner. Um, I would not, you know, text her back or anything like that. But she she took the opportunity. She she cared enough about me and our relationship to invest in a conversation. And that conversation was challenging because it was hard for me to hear because a lot of times when there's truth behind something, it's extra challenging to hear. Um, but it was so much, it's so, it was so needed. And what I found such value from is that she invested that time, she was caring, but she was direct, but she also was confident in the message she was giving me. So when she said, Allison, I feel like you don't prioritize because you show up because you're working late she was right. And there was a value that she cared enough about our relationship to, to invest in that conversation. And together we were able to say, okay, well, how do we move forward from here? And she's one of my best friends um, in the world. Um, and that was years ago that we had that conversation, but it was one of the times that the tables were turned on me because, and I think mm -hmm. it's actually also really important because when we talk about that power imbalance, when you're like, well, I'm the one who, you know, has the easy time to, to deliver this news, being on the other side of that, taking that step back about how did I want that person to interact with me and how did I feel as a result of that was really profound. It's so funny you say that. So I always tell customers that, I mean, yeah, actually you are a perfect example. I tell you I'm available at all hours of the day. And sometimes that means at like 10 o'clock at night, we're emailing, texting or calling. And, and for me, that always felt like, Oh, I'm providing great service, you know, like whenever they need me, I'm, I'm at a beck and call. And then I got a call one time from when we were buying our place from my loan officer at like 10 o'clock at night and the panic that swept over me when I was like, why would he be calling me at 10 o'clock at night? Like, I've already done the math. This works. I don't understand what's going on. Um, so like even just being sensitive to those types of things um, when you're having, and in that case, it was a good conversation, right? It was just like, hey, we need your next pay stub and we're good to go. Um, but I mean, even just being sensitive to, even if it's not the content, the style in which it's delivered, right? Um, I think is, is really important. And I think to touch on that and kind of bring it all together, oftentimes when you're having, when I have a conversation that I'm used to having, no matter who that audience is, I've had a lot of the same um, categories of conversations and you have too, but the person mm -hmm. on the other side they don't have those conversations every day. And when you get that call and your heart rate starts going up, you're going, I'm just making a phone call. It's fine. I'm talking. And on the receiving end, they're like, oh my goodness. So I Jason's think- Jason's calling me at midnight. Why? <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to get the house. Uh, <laughs> so I think there's, it really, there's a lot to be said for that, that pause, turn it around and then think about if I were getting a call at X time or if someone was saying it in this way, how would I be feeling and what a, what a big difference that makes. Yeah, I, I mean, again, it's so easy to blow past the other side of the table, right? Yeah. Um, what, whether it's, again, it's so easy in, a, in our profession and yours too, actually, and maybe this is a good question too. So in yours too, particularly in real estate, not necessarily on my side. Thankfully, it's why I'm on the lending side and not at Realtor. Mm -hmm. Negotiations, like I have, I would roll over like a little puppy dog in negotiations. <laughs> like I have no interest in being some hardcore negotiator. Um, but in your profession, you do have to have some hard negotiations mm -hmm. with folks. And then to then flip that over into this like compassionate HR person that's trying to be sensitive to, you know, the 
workplace that you're feeling isn't adequate for your you know sensibilities. Um, how do you kind of navigate that? Where in what? Because in one in a negotiation, right? Like I'm the listing agent. There is a power dynamic, and I'm leveraging the leap out of that as much as I can, right? But then the other side, I'm trying to tell my sellers, hey, the financing fell through, um, or you know, we don't have anybody at the open house this weekend. Um, and those are two different conversations within the same realm. So how do you kind of balance that when you talk about power dynamics? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So I think there's two things. Is one, you are the subject matter expert and you should have an, a level of expertise about what you're talking about. I like labor laws more than, you know, that's just a, a fun party trick. I like to know what's going on. So I'm obviously a lot of fun at parties that we can go to. But um, so I, I pride myself in knowing the, the foundation of information that I, I, I need to in my profession. And I think that when you go into a conversation and you've done your research and you've had these really robust conversations, you're able to come in with a level of confidence. But I think it's super important that you're listening actively enough to hear if maybe there is something you didn't think of, or maybe there is another opportunity to kind of um, to look at a different uh, pathway, or if you will. And I think that that's um, really important that you are taking that time to listen, to be um, to, to be tuned into that, and then to also say, oh well, maybe I don't let me listen well enough that I should think if there's another opportunity there. So I think it's like you want to have the, the confidence and expertise as a subject matter expert, but you don't want that to come at the expense of being so overly confident that you blow past opportunities to listen better or to come up with an even better solution associated with something. Or to sound like a total a-hole when you're like, yeah. uh, you know, oh yeah, no, sure. That's a great idea. And then you just blow past that too. Um, which is easy too, right? Like nobody likes being told how to do their job, but at the same time, it doesn't mean someone has a, a better mousetrap. Well, and um, I, there also is this element of, I have conversations that someone still might not agree with me. That doesn't like, it's not like, oh, everyone's always going to agree with me. You know, we go merrily off into the, the distance and with rainbows and butterflies. But I think there's something that if you can come with facts, empathy, and respect, that's a huge, it's a great combination of, uh, of traits for a, a tough conversation that even at the end of that, someone's not like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't get that mortgage. At least they're going, okay, he treated me with respect. He, you know, he, he listened to me and, you know, there, there is good factual information about why I didn't do that or why I didn't get that. And I think that's a big part of um, a successful conversation. The, so, I mean, I always say that the best compliment I can get is a referral, mm -hmm. but honestly, the best compliment I can get is I've had a couple of borrowers where I had to deny them. And then they come back years later or months later for a pre-approval and, or a refinance or whatever it is. And to me, like that, to your point there, like that's, that's such a massive compliment to like for you to have let someone go from a job and then months later they call you for advice on their new job. Like that's such a massive compliment for them to feel that you were somehow on their side, even when you weren't necessarily on their side. Um, yeah. And that, like, that's the goal, right? Like we're not here to make decisions. We're here to be advocates for, for whatever is hopefully in your best interest. Um, 
and and hopefully that's just a professional courtesy for everyone, regardless of whether or not it's HR or real estate or you know kindergarten teacher. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I I sincerely appreciate. It. I love talking to you, and you know that for years. Um, and we don't do a good enough job of staying in touch, but. <laughs> I will... where I live, literally, so that works out pretty well. <laughs> and I send you unmarked thank you gifts, and <laughs> yeah. and then and then leave you on the wild goose chase to figure out who they came from. But I hereby swear that I will do a better job of following up because this has reminded me once again that I do really enjoy connecting with you. So I'll do my best to do so. So Allison, thank you very much again for joining us. For anyone who is tuning in for the first time, or if you're a repeat offender. Please keep in mind, every time someone follows this podcast, I will make a donation to the Friends of Boston Homeless. So not only are you hopefully gathering good content, but with every single new follower who subscribes to a feed wherever you listen to podcasts, I will happily make a donation in your name uh, to help support people, get them off the street, and bring them into safe, sustainable, and dignified housing. So thank you again to Allison. Thank you to everyone who's tuning in and look forward to connecting with you next week on more random and interesting, hopefully, content. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Finance with Factor. Please remember to like, rate, share, and subscribe. Then if you really like us, unsubscribe and resubscribe again. Of course, that can be our secret but it helps our ratings. Have an idea for an upcoming topic you want us to cover? Post a comment. For the full video version of this episode or any of our previous episodes, please find, like, and follow Jason on YouTube or Facebook at Jason Factor Mortgage Network and on Instagram at Finance with Factor. All content on Finance with Factor is self-published by Jason Factor, Senior Loan Officer, NMLS, number 1401985. All rates, guidelines, and advice discussed on this episode is subject to change. For a full list of disclosures, visit the License and Disclosure page at jasonfactor.com.